on stage and do a little song and dance in front of their parents, and everyone would say, "Oh, how cute. Um, and even if you don't know that song, you've probably heard this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He wanted to see Jesus, but there was this big crowd, and he was short and all, so he had to climb up into a tree to look over the people and see Jesus. But Jesus, being Jesus, sees Zacchaeus up in that tree and calls him down, and then he goes over to his house to hang out. And the moral of this story is that God loves you even if you are short. <laughs> it's a cute story, right? It's a, it's a kid's story. Kids are short, so they can kind of relate to this. But I think that there's a lot more to it than that. And this is not to discount the infinite wisdom of children's stories. Those are some of the best stories. But I think that there is more to this text than just the fact that Zacchaeus was a small guy. So... Uh, We're looking at Luke 19 today. Let's read this together. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. We learn a lot about Zacchaeus in these first two lines. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. This is what we get as an introduction. Not that Zacchaeus was just short, but that he is a tax collector. And what do we know about tax collectors? People hate them. This is true then and now. People don't like the guys who take away your money. But back then, there was another layer to this. See, in Jesus' day, the nation of Israel was living under the rule of the Roman Empire. The Romans had come in and they had taken control of the area by force. They left many of the Jewish rulers and counselors in place, but these were puppet governors. They served a new master. They bowed to Caesar. The laws bent to Caesar. The taxes went to Caesar. The Jewish people were sort of free to carry on with life as they knew it, but with one difference. They would never again rule themselves. They were subjects of the Roman Empire. So when we read that Zacchaeus, a Jewish man, was a tax collector... What we're really being told is that he is a sellout. He is a spineless, weaseling, yellow-bellied trader who has allied himself with the enemy so that he can prey on his own people and profit from it. It's important, too, that we're told that he is rich because that lets us know exactly what kind of tax collector he was. See, in those days, there weren't really checks and balances on government employees. There was nothing to keep Zacchaeus when he went around collecting taxes from taking a little off the top. And so he would come to someone's house and he would say, Caesar requires 40 drachmas. And then after all of his neighbors had scrambled and scraped to come up with this money, he would turn in the 25 drachmas that Caesar had actually asked for and keep the rest for himself. Now I'm sure that at first this seemed like a pretty good deal to Zacchaeus. He was on the side of the winners for once, the tough guys. He was getting what he wanted. He could buy the big house, the expensive clothes, the fancy food, maybe even the pretty women, and no one could stop him. He had the iron fist of Rome on his side. But this came with a price. Zacchaeus quickly became the guy that the whole community hated. He was the one that the religious leaders used as an example when they wanted to tell you how not to live. When Zacchaeus walked down the street, people either hid or mumbled curses under their breath. 
Zacchaeus was a traitor and a liar and a greedy, money-grubbing man, and he knew it all too well. Let's look at the next verse. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So now we get to the we and the little part. Jesus is passing through town, and Zacchaeus wants to see him, but he cannot because there is a crowd and he is short. But I think it's kind of interesting in the first place that Jesus wants to see Jesus at all. Clearly, Jesus' reputation has preceded him. Clearly, word has gotten out and around town that this crazy preacher guy is passing through. This guy who talks about things like honesty and simplicity and caring for the poor and not running after money. This guy who has healed blind men and caused the lame to walk. This guy who has called the religious leaders on their crap and who has been seen time and again in the company of whores. What does Zacchaeus want with this guy? What does he expect from this? He's got to know that Jesus isn't going to agree with his lifestyle Jesus is a religious guy. Jesus loves the poor. What would he want to do with a man who robs his neighbors and calls it his job? But maybe what we're seeing in Zacchaeus here is hope, or if not hope, at least longing. Maybe he has heard the rumors, the part about Jesus eating and drinking with whores. Maybe Zacchaeus is wanting a change. And if he can just see Jesus, just see this man who they say might be the one who will save the world, maybe, just maybe, he can find the strength to do something new with his life. Because there is only so long that a man can go on doing something that makes him hate himself. But once you start doing that thing, once you become tied to it, whatever it is, it can be very hard to find the strength to break free of it on your own. And so Zacchaeus is longing to see Jesus. He hears the news and he heads out to the road that Jesus is traveling along, but he can't see. There is a crowd there already, and he, being a little guy, can't see over their heads. So what does he do? Let's look at verse 4. On account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus' solution to this problem is unique. Can't see over a crowd? Climb a tree. This is kind of weird, though, right? A grown man, probably in expensive clothes, climbing up into a tree in a crowded place. I think that the tree is central to this story, and I think that it tells us two things. One, it tells us that Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. He doesn't just look at the crowd and turn away. No, he does something really strange, and he takes a risk. We might even say that he goes out on a limb for it. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> so on the one hand, we have this desperation, this longing, this need for something new. But on the other hand, we have distance. Zacchaeus chooses to withdraw from that crowd. He doesn't muscle his way through. He doesn't make a scene and try and throw himself out into the middle of the road. He doesn't, like that blind man that we talked, a few week, talked about a few weeks ago, he doesn't start yelling and make himself so much of a nuisance that Jesus has to pay attention. No, Zacchaeus steps back and he climbs a tree. We're kidding ourselves if we think that Zacchaeus could not have gotten through that crowd. Yes, people hated him. And yes, he was short. 
But what we've got to remember is that Zacchaeus was important and Zacchaeus was powerful. Pushing people around is exactly what he did every day for a living. That second verse at the beginning told us he's not just a tax collector. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He is the guy, the head honcho, the kingpin of this whole crooked operation. And so, yes, the people might have elbowed him or spat at him if he tried to fight through this crowd on his own, but Zacchaeus was not a guy who had to fight his own fights. He had the iron fist of Rome on his side. But here Zacchaeus does not throw around his power. This time he withdraws and he climbs a tree. Why? I would say that this choice comes from a place of fear and a place of shame and a place of hurt. Maybe he did try to edge his way through the crowd on his own. Maybe the people blocked his way and laughed, happy that they could finally take something away from this man who had taken so much from them. Maybe this time he was too scared to even face the crowd. Maybe over the years, the glares and jeers and mumbled curses had become too much for him to bear. And so he doesn't fight this time. He doesn't use his power. He doesn't even engage with the crowd. He turns aside, runs ahead, climbs a tree, and waits. So this will be a picture of a sycamore fig tree. might be a little hard to see, but what you can tell from this is this is not a small little tree. Um, It is not a small tree, and I think it would be a tree that would be pretty easy to hide in. See, the story that we have here doesn't tell us that Zacchaeus was actually trying to go out and meet Jesus. He's not trying to go and talk to Jesus. He just wants to see who he is. And in this tree, he can do that and keep his distance. He can, to a certain degree, see but not be seen. See, Zacchaeus here is the curious man who is held back by shame. He's the man who stands gazing at something he has always longed for but does not dare to take a step towards it because he knows that as soon as he does, he will find out the truth of his own unworthiness. That new start that Zacchaeus is wanting, he doesn't deserve that. That hope that maybe something could change for him, Zacchaeus is too far gone for that. So there's a lot of fear and a lot of hurt and a lot of shame hanging around in the branches of that tree. And so Zacchaeus sits there, biding his time, and he waits. And then it happens. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is astonishing. This is jaw-dropping. This is not what Zacchaeus was expecting. Here he is, keeping his distance, waiting in this tree, and Jesus, surrounded by all the people, marches right through the crowd, picks him out, and calls him by name. How does he know my name, Zacchaeus must have been thinking. And really, there was only one logical answer. In the same way that Jesus' reputation had preceded him, Zacchaeus had a reputation that would have made him known to Jesus. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name because everyone knew Zacchaeus' name. He was Zacchaeus the rat, the weasel, the little guy who had teamed up with the enemy. So here it comes, Zacchaeus must have thought. If Jesus is calling my name, it is surely to make an example out of me. 
I've heard the way that he talks about the poor. I've heard the things that he says about money. Surely if this Jesus, a religious man, is calling me, it is only to call me out, to call me to judgment, to give me the scolding that I know I deserve. And as he thinks this, the eyes of the people turn towards him and he feels foolish. He is a spectacle now, a grown man up in a tree. They are smiling and they are watching, waiting for the words that will cut this man who has haunted their doorsteps and squeezed their wallets dry. But instead, Jesus, Jesus, who is famous for whiplashing the religious leaders with his tongue, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, come down. I must stay at your house today. This right here is what stands at the heart of Christianity. Because if what we believe is true, this is not just some religious sage giving us an example of real life forgiveness. No, if what we believe is true, this is God himself walking into town and inviting himself over for dinner with the worst person we know. And do you hear the urgency in Jesus' words there? There is no please and no thank you. I must stay with you, he says. Jesus walks right up to this tree and meets Zacchaeus where he is. He seeks him out in his place of shame and hurt and fear. And he says, I want to be with you. I have to be with you. Hurry, come down. There are a million things that I do not understand about God and a million more I do not understand about faith. But one thing is clear to me here. The God that we see in Jesus is not a God who stands at a distance waiting for us to come to him. He seeks us out. He makes the first move. He invites himself over. He is not a God who comes to us wanting things from us. He is a God who comes wanting us just us, badly. And so Zacchaeus, the story tells us, hurries down from the tree and receives Jesus joyfully. How else could he receive him? This man, or maybe more than a man, has just made him a person again. Jesus has made him touchable. Jesus has called him worthy. Zacchaeus deserved to be reprimanded. He deserved to be judged, but instead he was honored. This man, who the people call holy and rabbi, and some even Christ, was going to come stay at his home. But the crowd is not having it. Let's look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I think we forget sometimes exactly how scandalous Jesus was. He walks into town, the people are all crowded around him, and he decides to stay with the one guy that they all hate more than anyone else. This is terrible PR work. We have to imagine that Zacchaeus hears all of this grumbling. He hears them whisper that word, sinner. And all of his fears come rushing back. But then he looks up and to his side, he sees the disciples sort of scratching their heads. And then he sees Jesus. And Jesus, maybe he's got this wry, quiet smile on his face that sort of says, let them talk. It's still your house that I'm staying at. There are no words of judgment from Jesus. No calls to change or repent this time, just a look 
that says, thank you, I'm glad you came down. And so they go, and Zacchaeus prepares rooms for all of the disciples. He calls his servants, because a guy as rich as this certainly has servants, and he tells them to make a great meal, the greatest that they've ever made. And Zacchaeus sits inside, and he eats with Jesus. The text doesn't tell us much of what happens at the house, but somewhere along the way, maybe just after they break free of the crowd, or I like to think just after they finish with the meal, Zacchaeus stands up and says something to Jesus. This is verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is spontaneous giving. This is not something Zacchaeus was planning on. And this is not something that Jesus asked for. We talked last week about the rich young ruler. And this guy, Jesus, asked to sell all of his possessions and give the money to the poor. But as far as we know, Jesus is asking nothing of the sort here. Zacchaeus just offers it freely, extravagantly. Zacchaeus' guilt has been turned to generosity his shame to a show of gratitude. He's not giving just to find forgiveness. He wants to make restitution to people, yes. But more than that, he is giving because his old life is over and he is overjoyed with the new life that he has found. He wants to be a new man. He wants to rebuild the relationships that he has ruined. And at that, Jesus says to him these words. This is verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There are two things that I think we should note here. First, look at Jesus, look at how Jesus talks about salvation. It is not something that we have to scrape and search for, it is something that comes to us. It is something that comes to our house, that steps into our lives and invites itself over. And salvation here is tied to identity. It's tied to belonging to something bigger, like a family. This man also is a son of Abraham, Jesus says. He's saying that Zacchaeus now belongs to the tribe of people who have trusted in God. See, this is deeper than some kind of mental agreement. It's bigger than a prayer that we pray one time. This is a revolution. This is an adoption. This is discovering who we really are. And finally, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We hear that word lost a lot in religious talk. It's a favorite term of pit preachers and angry churches with signs. It is a label, a reminder, a word that tells us that we have messed up. We have wandered off the path. We are failures. We are sinners. We are lost. And there is truth to that. We have all messed up. We have forgotten the people that we wanted to become, and we have lost ourselves down some dark and muddy road. But I think that the way that Jesus uses the word here is different. A few chapters back in the book of Luke, he tells these stories, three stories in a row about lost things. A woman who has just 10 coins to her name and loses one. A shepherd with 99 sheep safe in a pasture who goes out looking for the one that is lost. A father who stands waiting, wringing his hands. 
And then when he sees his son coming down the road, runs out to meet him in joy. See, in these stories, the focus is not on the mistakes made by the lost things. One of the lost things is an inanimate object. The focus here is on the longing of the loser to recover something that they love. Now, I don't mean to suggest that God loses track of people. But I do mean to say that the way God feels about people who are far from him, about Zacchaeus, about me, about you, the way that God feels about people who are far from him is the way that woman felt about her coin, the way that shepherd felt about his sheep, the way that father felt about his son. When God thinks of someone as lost, he is not thinking of all their mistakes and missteps. No, he's only thinking of how much he wants them back. Lost things that break our hearts are those that are precious to us. And so Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost does not come to Zacchaeus to recount for him his mistakes. He does not come to call him to judgment or demand that he shape up. He comes to him where he is, in that tree, in his place of hurt and shame and fear. And he says, come down from there and let me be with you. I must stay at your house today. Amen.